0: All right. Hello, everyone. This is uh, your host, Scott McNamara, bringing you another episode of What's New in Adapted Physical Education. Uh, I wanted to uh, just do a quick introduction of this episode. We're going to talk about speech and language pathology uh, and working with those, those professionals and APE uh, we have four awesome panelists that I'm going to introduce in a second. In addition, I think uh, I would really like to, to push you all to go to the blog uh, portion of this uh, podcast because uh, they also added two great resources to kind of help us along with uh, better collaborating and using speech and language uh, pathologist kind of uh, principles within our practice. So those are really good. In addition, I wanted to just note that in this episode, uh, I, I messed up with some of the audio stuff. So the audio is a little harsh for the first 20, 30 minutes, and then it's going to pick up quite a bit, so please kind of stay in there with us. Uh, I think it, it's a good episode, and it's not that bad, um, but please um, just note the change in the audio. Lastly, I just wanted to also say that we have some other awesome episodes coming up uh, on the and very soon. Uh, we have Luis Columna from University of Wisconsin-Madison, who's going to talk about working with parents in a program he has called Fit Families, and then Dr. LeVay did another episode where he's talking to Dave Perretta, uh, who's like a, an esteemed uh, scholar in our field who's recently retired and talks about Joe Winnick, who is a, a big pioneer in our field uh, and, and some of the research he's done, What you know, the history of our field where he sees us going all those great things. All right with that we're going to get started into this episode about speech and language pathology and APE. So 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 excited to have uh, a nice panel uh, on to talk about an important topic and that is the collaboration of adapted physical education and speech and language. Um, Those are I think it's a really important topic. It's something I have a decent amount of experience actually in my master's program we we had a whole program that was ran that way so I'm really excited to have you on and, and to talk about this um, and to get started I want you all to do a brief introduction about yourself and a little bit about your research and teaching experiences and since this is the order on my zoom Melissa why don't you get started
1: hi this is Melissa Bittner, and my research interest is motor performance for children with autism spectrum disorder I Did my undergraduate degree at Monmouth College in Illinois. After that, I was an itinerant uh, APE teacher uh, and also pursued my master's degree with Dr. Cindy Poletic at Western Illinois University. I was then hired at my alma mater and taught in the kinesiology department for 10 years and then went back to pursue my PhD at Texas Women's University, studying under Dr. Lisa Silliman-French. Now, currently, I am at CSU Long Beach and have been here three years as an assistant professor.
0: And uh, Barry, would you like to, to introduce yourself? I'm sure most of our audience knows you already pretty well, but please.
2: Hi, I'm uh, Dr. Barry LeBay. I'm a professor at Cal State University, in Long Beach. I've been at Long Beach since 1988. Um, prior to that, I was at a small college, Fort Hayes State University in Hayes, Kansas, uh, and I received my Ph.D. at the University of New Mexico. And I've also taught in Albuquerque, New Mexico as an itinerant AP teacher. And before that, I taught in Illinois uh, in a, a school for individuals with intellectual disabilities. So I'm excited to be on the podcast and share this. And one of the other perks is I get to work with uh, Melissa Bittner in the kinesiology department.
1: I also want to shout out and give congrats to Barry. He was recently named the Julian Stein Lifetime Achievement Award Winner for Shape
3: America. So Hi. Kudos,
0: Barry. But yeah, no, that is um very impressive. Yes, and
2: Barry. Yes.
0: I don't think it could have gone to anyone more deserving. So... Uh, Yes, big congratulations, Barry, on that.
2: Thanks, and uh, I appreciate my department chair and, and also Melissa who nominated and supported me and it us a, a nice honor and a pleasant surprise. So thanks.
0: You, you deserve it. All right, so Belinda.
3: That's me, hi. I'm Dr. Belinda Doherty and I i worked for several years as a clinical speech-language pathologist specializing in children with autism. I've been here at CSULB as an assistant professor for the last three years. I did my doctorate work at UCLA under Connie Casari in the Center for Autism Research and Treatment. And my research interests are in parent involvement and social skills for children with autism, as well as barriers to early diagnosis and treatment of autism, particularly in communities of color.
0: Awesome.
2: Hello there, I'm Dr. Elaine Ocampo, and this is my fifth
4: year as an assistant professor at Cal State Long Beach. Before I came full-time, I was working in the schools for about 16 years, a school-based population. Um, I finished my doctorate at Chapman University in the area of disability studies. And um, actually, an alum here from Cal State Long Beach. So it's great to be back um, working with a team um, here on the faculty. Um, My research interests are related to speech language disorders, autism, and collaboration.
0: Awesome. Now, I'm going to already divert a little bit from the program, but my first question, though, is I just want to make sure that we have a nice, strong uh, definition of what speech and language pathologist and that that area is for our listeners can you uh, as experts in that area give us give us some of that um, that information sure absolutely so our role as speech language
4: pathologist is really um, in the area of prevention intervention assessment um, so we work with individuals from we, we say cradle to grave because across the lifespan um, from infants to adults with disabilities, um, cognitive and communication disabilities. So um, bringing it back to actually what we do in a school-based setting, a lot of students that we serve have, um, what we could say communication disabilities in the area of maybe expressing themselves or maybe understanding information and ultimately being able to access functional communication.
0: Awesome.
3: I would add to that, but I think it was it was perfect. <laughs> <laughs> We do. We work with
0: individuals across the lifespan with communication disorders. Wonderful. And so, and then obviously a lot of this is happening in the schools, right? I mean, uh, in my experiences is in the schools, uh, I worked with my speech and language pathologist constantly, but I think I was a little unique in that, being a PE teacher and, and having some of those experiences. But so what is um, the purpose of collaboration between um, related service and maybe especially Uh, uh, speech and language with APE.
3: So collaboration is a a really key area for us in our field and across disciplines in that we really want to work outside of just our own siloed area. This idea of collaborative work, uh, interprofessional care, is something that we know has a lot of evidence for our students in regards to getting them to generalize and carry over their skills. So collaboration has the purpose of helping, of helping our clients to generalize their communication skills to other areas, as well as helping our colleagues to understand more of what we do so they can directly and indirectly target those skills within their own discipline. Okay. The um, key to effective collaboration, I think is really just being open to, collaborate, to collaborating between disciplines, to not have a hierarchy between disciplines but really respecting everyone's role and everyone's area of expertise and seeing the, where those areas might converge and so what the patterns of overlap might be so that we can collaborate really in the best interest of our student
4: absolutely and um, a little a little more to add to that uh, piece is in schools there's a big push especially in the area of special education for legally defensible um, practices. Mm-hmm. So, and one one factor of that is how did you come up with those eligibility decisions? Uh, off, you know, as a team, did you cover all of the bases holistically? Observations, looking at all the um,
2: domains together as a team. Things that um, they brought up that's really important is that
0: we need to respect other disciplines. Mm. We need to understand other disciplines. I think.
2: On a pre-service level, I think it's important for many of us in higher ed
0: to share with our
2: you know, students that are studying to be AP or they're studying to be speech is what do other disciplines do and, and to have an appreciation for that. And the other thing, when I think a of co- a collaboration to provide effective services to children with disabilities is really complex and no one person has all the answers. So I think that's, you know, I really want to reinforce what Elaine and Belinda were saying. So I think that's important
0: absolutely um, yeah oh, so how okay how do you see like speech and language um, what is the purpose of that collaboration uh, with APE uh, specifically like why what is the, the purpose as well as what, maybe what are some of the, the the big benefits of doing that
3: so one of the major benefits is APE one of the things we've learned within this collaboration I had a I never worked in schools, but have the suspicion prior from my limited experience in schools, that um, the activities that they're doing in APE are really natural contexts for trying to learn language. Um, They're action-based tasks, they're moving, um, they're with peers. And so in regards to working on some of the domains that are important in our field, in regards to social interaction, in regards to learning more expressive output, um, following commands, Uh, following simple directions in order to take part in a game. Those types of tasks are really natural tasks for us to target our language goals for our students. And so I think that is one of the the biggest takeaways that I've kind of been uh, reinforced with throughout this partnership and in thinking about collaboration between the two disciplines.
4: To add to what Dr. Garney just said, um, I was excited when this opportunity came up because I actually did this in the schools the adaptive PE teacher um, actually worked with me and we worked on our schedules together so that we would co-treat or co-teach and do our sessions together. And so when the students were up in their walkers or in their wheelchairs, their attention was better, and so their language and communication were facilitated you know, through that naturalistic approach. So Scott, from, from a physical education or adaptive PE
2: perspective, like, the point that um, you know they made is that it's just a natural environment there's there's movement going on and and one of the things is some children are just more confident in a movement setting and but but the other thing I think is that you've got a lot of equipment that's colorful that's motivational that's kid friendly and so you can be um you know for example you could be saying do you want the red scooter board do you want the blue scooter board to get them to you know to talk Um, If you want the ribbon one, you have to ask me, you know, use your words. Um, You know, anytime you're playing games in a group setting, uh, there has to be sharing. There has to be some type of engagement. Um, You know, one of the things that I think we overlook is is during the lesson, during closure, um, getting the students to uh, basically, what did we learn today? And getting them to use their words and getting them to to share. And so... um, you know,
0: just looking at the whole child and yeah. uh,
2: working together. But I, I you know, I, I can't reinforce enough how um, adaptive p is just a natural, you know, setting to, to promote this, like like was was said.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I want to backpedal for a second. And you talked about like that that this is a great setting to meet uh, the goals for for speech and language. Um, can you talk a little bit? I know that there's some main domains. Uh, that speech and language pathologists are trying to, to hit. Can you uh, briefly kind of explain those and then also how they might be incorporated in PE? Okay.
3: Oh, so we have uh, receptive language, which is the understanding. Um, so things like being able to understand simple directions uh, with or without gesture, right? So if, if you think about the domain of APE, it might be, oh, go get the, the board and can the student discriminate appropriately between blue or red? Or um, do they need a point in order to follow that command or can they follow it verbally without any additional prompting? Um, We work on expressive communication in terms of everything that the child can uh, verbally or um, communicate with an augmentative modality like sign language or an AAC device like an iPad. So something like, what do you want? Giving an a cho- open-ended choice, and can the child respond to that question appropriately? Can they indicate their wants and needs in a way that is functional for them? And then we also work in a social domain. So working with um, getting children to interact with each other, getting them to play cooperatively, getting them to engage in a conversation regarding a, an established topic, and can they take multiple back and forth turns on that topic? Um, eye gaze is another area we work on nonverbal communication skills. So can a child indicate their attention by looking at the person who they're talking to or by referencing an object that they want to um, discuss or talk about? And so I, I think all of those areas can be effectively addressed within an APE setting.
0: Absolutely. It's not, it somewhat seems to me like a in, in the school setting, it seems like a very authentic setting um, I agree. And I think that you know, versus not to say that a classroom, uh, you know, for a math class is not authentic, but it seems a lot more authentic with what they're going to see in their day-to-day life outside of school, as well as then just the authentic way of of sharing and expressing and, and receiving, um, you know, language and, and talking to each other.
4: Yes, and, and Scott, and actually, you definitely um, stated what we emphasize with our interns and our, you know, our students that. When, as far as our service delivery is concerned, it's not the, you know, two times a week pull them out of class. You see them in a, in a small room, but to make sure, you know, you're you're bringing them out there in what you said, an authentic or natural environment, and that's what an APE SLP collaborative context provides.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Can you tell me a little bit about your research project? I know that you recently have done some research with uh, the Adaptive Physical Education Program, and looking at peer engagement and social communication, can you first, though, tell me a little bit about how um, faculty from these two different departments kind of came together to collaborate on this research project, um, examining how AP teachers facilitate um, peer engagement and social communication?
3: Start on how we got started, which was um, Melissa and I actually both came into CSUB at the same time. And we were in our new faculty orientation listening to everyone's introductions and as we stood up and said each of our own intros and what our research interests were um, we both heard the buzzword of autism and said oh wow look at her and so that i think for me is how we initially got started is right here that orientation i said oh that's someone i want to make sure to keep in contact with if there's ever a way that we could work together or collaborate together because um, with her discipline being in kinesiology um, in that department and then with APE and I, me and SLP, I thought, wow, that would be a really great collaborative effort there. I agree. Uh, uh, a few things
1: that I know as a new faculty member, um, Barry has really served to um, be my mentor and he's constantly telling me to, you know, put myself out there, go to events and in our our college of health and human services we have a a meet the department night and we actually went uh, barry and i went to you know meet the department and there we met elaine and belinda and you know found out they both research uh, did research in children with uh, autism and it worked out perfect timing wise because barry and i were just discussing in our after school physical activity program that you know, anecdotally, we noticed some of the children seemed to use their words more when they were engaged in cooperative activities. And we thought, you know, we would really like to do some research um, on this line and collaborate, so uh, it worked out. Awesome. Scott, from a, from a higher
2: ed standpoint, we, we really talk a lot about how important it is to uh, collaborate across uh, disciplines and across departments, but the reality sometimes is we're in different buildings, we're in our offices, we're, we're doing our own thing and you know in this day and age uh, it, you know on papers you have to have multiple authors and, and the idea of collaboration is' just really important for young faculty to get out there and um, because it's easy to like your first few years to just stay in your office and you're constantly prepping for classes and you're constantly um, you know doing your own research and doing your own thing and so, uh, I think this is a really good example of um, you know a couple of departments getting together and, and collaborating. And hopefully, this is something that these two departments will continue to do. Um, you know, working in teams is is the way to go. I like guess from many perspectives.
0: Absolutely, and I I think that the research that you uh, that you gather is actually a lot stronger too. Um, because like what we said before is like, I mean, um, not one profession is going to be able to meet the complex needs of students in general. Um, so we need collaborative efforts as far as research and, and you know, and, and even, you know, it sounds like uh, you're giving your pre-service teachers this, this um, opportunity to kind of learn more about speech and language. And, and I want to get kind of into your research uh, project now. Um, so can you talk a little bit about kind of like, you know, the methods, the setting, and, and what exactly you were looking for in this uh, research project you did recently?
1: Our, our research study was conducted at Camp Nugget, and Camp Nugget is a summer camp for children with disabilities 5 to 12 years of age here at uh, Long Beach State. We're actually celebrating the 50th year of uh, the University of Camp Nugget this summer, so that's a, a pretty big deal. Our At Camp Nugget, we do activities such as health-related physical fitness, fundamental motor skills, lead-up games, sports, cooperative activities, um, aquatics, relaxation. In the camp, we have over 50 children with disabilities each summer. The camp runs for four weeks, Monday through Friday, 9 until noon. um, So they get about 60 total hours of physical uh, activity exposure. Our participants in this study were actually the 23 pre-service, adapted PE teachers who were employed by Camp Nugget. So they were the, the staff members. And all of these um, pre-service teachers are studying um, in the kinesiology department to be adapted PE teachers. And through this experience of Camp Nugget, they get you know, hands-on teaching um, designed to you know, develop both physical and social skills for children with disabilities. 11 of our staff were in leadership roles. They were returners and 12 were entering the summer camp um, as first-time employees of camp nugget so as far as um, procedures go we um, remade um, we <coughs> used uh kretzman and colleagues remaking recess protocol and developed a checklist um, for our our staff to determine their ability to facilitate peer engagement and socialization we did a one-hour research, uh, researcher training, and the first week of Camp Nugget, we observed the participants by two ind- with two independent research coders who were you know, professionals in SLP and APE. So we did this uh, at baseline, and then also, again, following intervention during week four of Camp Nugget. Uh, intervention was a one-hour in-service training by uh, our speech-language pathologists during week two of Camp Nugget. And again, it helps them determine, uh, identify peer engagement states and recognize opportunities to promote peer engagement. Uh, also, then we have four days of live training, uh, live coaching for the pre service teachers to promote uh, peer engagement at Camp Nugget.
2: I'm gonna jump in and talk a little bit because I know you have background like doing peer engagement on, uh, you know, like basically playgrounds and yeah so, yeah So that's where the collaboration i think was really helpful for, for us
3: so as a doctoral student my um, experience as a graduate student researcher was on a community-based project which i found really interesting particularly as with my clinical background in slp so um, the research that i did as a student was in schools on the ground working with children with autism who were in general education settings. And the purpose of the study was to um, facilitate their peer engagement during natural context, specifically lunchtime and recess. And for that study, um, the active ingredients were the playground paraprofessionals. So not the students themselves, but working with the playground staff to see if they could um, be instructed and trained on how to better identify children who were not engaged during recess and then to facilitate their engagement by getting them involved with a group of peers and then appropriately fading out of the activity rather than remaining in as a kind of a shadow or a one-to-one um, so utilizing that uh, background i thought that same approach could be applied to our collaboration with camp nugget um, looking at the teachers working within their natural context, within um, activities that weren't recessed, but were uh, socially motivating, that were active, that were movement-based. And so uh, my background in working with that UCLA study under Connie Kazari really kind of laid the groundwork for me that this is something that could be translated into an APB and SLP collaborative effort.
0: Real quick, um, I, I want to know. You talked a little bit about trains, You talked about working with paraprofessionals to work with them. What are some ex- like um, specific examples of things that you would uh, instructions or, or things that you would give to an AP teacher or paraprofessional to better uh, get better social communication and peer engagement? Sure. So uh, one of the
3: things we trained on and in working with the Camp Nugget staff is. Looking at um, how to deal with rejection, right? So that a lot of times our children who are isolated or who are solitary, if you invite them over to do something or try to get something started, they might not initially be receptive, right? And so sometimes our paraprofessionals or um, if you're not as accustomed to that type of response, you might say, oh, well, the child doesn't want to, or they just want some time alone for a moment. And so we work with trying to get our staff to really reject that kind of notion, right? That um, there's a way to facilitate a child being engaged with a peer, right? It might be, um, uh, it might take a few tries. And so that's one of the first things that we talked about. Another strategy that we would talk about specifically is how to model peer engagement. So if a child were to reject something or appear reticent, how to get something social started within their proximity, that they have then an increased opportunity to look over and say, oh, well, <clears throat> that looks interesting. Or what is it that you guys are doing? Um, or setting up a, a kind of sabotage task where, oh, I need to be able to roll this ball and I'm having a really hard time mm. it that of my hand. Can you help me? I just, oh my goodness, it just won't get there, right? And so just setting up these really minute um, kind of changes, apparently, my, seemingly minute, but that are global issues that can be used across the board in getting a child engaged in activity. Um, Another strategy we use specifically is seeking out those children who are kind of your chatty Cathy's on the playground or um, your really active children in tasks. You always have at least one in a classroom or in a group dynamic and having them say, hey, can you help John? John sometimes has a hard time playing with us can you try to get them over and utilizing a peer as a model, which is something that can be really helpful um, in two ways. One, that it helps to get the peers directly involved, but two, um, typically it can help to get those peers who are sometimes overly engaged in tasks to um, modify their own behavior by giving them a a peer-to-peer task, right? Giving them an additional role and responsibility so they feel, more fulfilled in that way by having more things to do and you've also helped to provide the child who needs more, um, more instruction with a peer mom. And the other things, Melinda, I thought,
2: like shared with our uh, pre-service staff teachers that was really effective is that um, you have a lot of kids with disabilities that are great at engaging with the teacher and they, they'll only engage with the teacher and um, you know, I, I thought you gave the, the staff some really good examples of, uh, hey, you know, uh, talk to your peer, you know, and, and so that was important. And also, you know, there was a one-hour PowerPoint that you put together to, you know, and, and shared with the with uh, staff that was really effective.
3: Yeah, I think um, one of the things a lot of our children with complex communication and motor needs have is they sometimes have had a great deal of negative experiences in peer interaction um, opportunities because either they can't communicate effectively or appropriately and so maybe they have some reticence to continue that engagement because it's not always successful as opposed to a lot of special intervention and staff so AP teachers, SLPs, and they feel almost a safety with those adults and so um, we want to transition our role from working with those children to bringing in more peer engagement, which is going to be more natural for them. And it's also going to be more helpful in the, the bigger scheme of, of their needs, right? They need to learn to engage with their peers more than they need to engage with adults. So um, one of the things I tell staff and group related tasks all the time is You know it shouldn't be you and your best friend the 10 year old talking together it needs to be that you fade yourself out and get them engaged with the fear so starting with uh, adult to child adult child and another child and then child to child as the adult fades
0: away well thank you for like the 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 idea for all those strategies um i I think those specific things are the things that we really really need because i honestly don't know a lot of those and know those and try to incorporate those and teach those to my pre-service teachers as well, I think would be awesome. I wanna go back to that study a little bit, and I wanna, at the end, we'll talk a little bit more about some strategies that you're doing um, uh, with the kids as well. But going back to that study, so you mentioned Camp Nugget. You said it's in its 50th year, and that's where kind of the setting of this happened. Can you just like give a a quick explanation about what that program is overall, and and how it kind of um, allows somebody like Melissa to kind of do teaching, scholarship, and research in there?
2: Sure. Um, so I think one of the real strengths, like Melissa talked a little bit about, what Camp Nugget is, you know, um, basically, what's an on-campus program where we're bringing children with disabilities on the campus, and you know, the benefits besides we're providing uh, services, quality physical activity services to children with disabilities and their parents, we're also giving back to the community, and I think any. Uh, university uh, especially if they're state-run they have an obligation uh, to do that um, but but i i think one of the, the big things the the question here is that to think smart when you're a faculty member and a program an on-campus program or any type of uh, program like that can be both teaching service and scholarship and so by teaching is basically this is a really good example of how we were Uh, training our university students who are going to go out there and be adapted physical educators to uh, learn strategies to socially engage and they'll they'll remember this and they'll use that. I I really think the the point that was made about, um, I remember when we were doing the study that some of our um, university students would be trying to engage the students and they wouldn't answer them and you know it's almost like we're standing over there observing and the university student is kind of like you know dying inside and, and I'm thinking when I was an undergraduate you know uh, how difficult this would be and so to the point about you know keep asking some probing questions and try to get them to engage but so you got you got your teaching you've got your service you're providing service for you know out in the community you're providing quality experiences for the parents and the children the parents are very very receptive to this but most importantly you're you're conducting scholarship, and um, so every summer we we try to do some type of um, research study through through Camp Nugget. So maybe uh, Melissa, you could talk a little bit about the the Hogart, you know, the grants, the um, university grants that you were able to receive, and, and maybe even talk about what we're planning to do this summer, you know, for for a grant and for uh, summer research with Camp Nugget.
1: Both Belinda and I applied for um, two different grants uh, for this study. Uh, the first was a faculty small grant and these were both internal grants through uh, Long Beach State. And through the, the faculty small grants we were provided uh, research assistance. So I had um, three research assistants, um, Speech Language had a couple research assistants, and ape students did um, some data collection data entry they had the opportunity to put together a powerpoint presentation and presented it at a national uh, adapted physical education conference and scott will link that presentation uh, down below full speech language um, participants uh, research assistants had the opportunity to help us with the data collection and serve as um, research assistants we also applied for a HOGAR grant, and this was to um, mentor uh, research assistants through the summer. And so there was a, a lot of internal faculty grants that we were able to um, provide both us some assistance and you know, we also got some financial assistance to attend conferences to present and disseminate uh, the information from
2: our research.
0: That's awesome. That, it's wonderful that your institution is supporting both your, that collaboration like that.
2: And so, you know, from a, to share with high, you know, young professionals in higher ed is that, you know, a program like Camp Nugget is a lot of work. It's a lot of administrative work and a lot of organization, but I think it's well worth it. I mean, the benefits, you know, are scholarship, our teaching, and our um, service. And so, think smart when you're you're doing your work and and having a vehicle to do that melissa can you just maybe share this summer we're going to be doing this uh, nutritional study and maybe just give a brief couple of sentences about that or
1: sure this summer we are collaborating um, with uh, nutrition uh, on our campus and we are going to do a a workshop for parents to help parents provide um, different nutritional choices. During Camp Nugget, we also have snack time. And during snack time, we're going to uh, expose the children to different, you know, snacks, you know, vegetables or kale or seaweed, just different uh, foods that, you know, are are better than the, the Cheetos, Doritos, fruit snacks. Uh, that children might gravitate towards, particularly children uh, with disabilities sometimes have um, sensitivities to food choices where maybe they don't like the texture of certain foods or they only eat foods that are orange. And so uh, we really hope that this nutrition uh, collaboration can help both the, the children and the parents um, in with, with better nutritional choices. So that'll be our upcoming collaboration uh, at Camp Nugget this next summer.
0: That's awesome that you have that type of venue uh, to do that as well as like, I'm sure the students get a lot out of that as well as the kids.
3: And then we're also looking to potentially extend our study that we did um, together from last summer. So last summer we looked at um, working with the APE teachers, we did this in-service training, we did some live coaching, to kind of spoil the ending for you it was we did find that it was effective and that we saw some significant changes in behaviors amongst the AP teachers in terms of their ability to facilitate peer engagement but we're looking at potentially this summer doing uh, replicating that study and trying to see exactly what the active ingredient is if it is Um, Just the training itself or if it's the live coaching that really makes um, That kind of significant difference and I think that will be something helpful So that if this is something that can ultimately be disseminated into schools It would be helpful to know exactly what the active ingredient is. Is it that we need some um, active days with live coaching and live kind of interprofessional practice, or is it more interprofessional education that is the active ingredient? So I think that will also be interesting to take our current study, um, which was evidenced as effective, and taking that a step further.
0: Let's talk a little bit about those results um, from the study. Can can someone, again, summarize those results, and then how are those results impactful for, um, you know, APE teachers, and or speech and language pathologist in the field?
1: Sure, sure. We, we looked at uh, using a, the cumulative linked mixed model. So it's a type of regression. And from this, we found that we had a significant observer rating in eight of the nine domains related to our APE pre-service teachers and their ability to facilitate peer engagement and social interaction. So it was things like um, assessing engagement in the environment, transitioning to an activity, setting up the activity, fostering communication um, between peers. And so, um, you know, it was very positive with uh, the significant results that we found. Um, And so, yeah, we'd like to do, like Belinda alluded to, a follow-up to see, well, was it the live training? Um, or was it the the professional um, development that was kind of that key uh, ingredient in making the 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 change catalyst?
2: Um, I, I think you know an interesting thing like going back to having programs like Camp Nugget or after school or have a program or whether you have field works in the public schools or you have them on campus you when you theory comes alive and you can do this live coaching and where we had these uh not only uh four of us but also some graduate students that were going around and right on the spot could could work effectively with them and, and and unless um you know universities uh have these types of programs, it's very difficult to do you know where where theory becomes practice and and how you have to have that um relationship uh, I think is very is very critical
0: absolutely, absolutely. Now, I'm going to kind of start skipping around for time reasons, but I, I kind of want to know, um, we talked a little bit about the pre-service students that you had in there. Can you discuss some of the reactions from some of the pre-service students who were involved in the study? What were their perceptions about um, you know, the results and their, their being involved in it?
1: Sure, I, I think that one of the best aspects of this research study were the practical implications for the, the teachers. And I think there were a lot of applicable lessons learned. Um, for example, one of them, we really learned that very important to mirror the language of the child. So if the child is speaking in sentences of two to three words, the teacher needs to mirror that. In addition, you really need to consider the, the child's vocabulary level. You have to be careful to avoid difficult vocabulary words like counterclockwise or criteria they often don't know what these words uh, and vocabulary mean. Um, You also have to really consider the the developmental level and how many chunks of information can the student process at one time? You know, a teacher might give a really complicated direction, you know, like go power walk over, get the hula hoop, and then I want you to do five jumping jacks outside of the hula hoop. I mean, how many chunks of information can they process at one time? And so you really might need to you know, keep it simple. Um, and then another really important consideration is questioning from the APE teacher. Careful about asking open-ended questions. It can be very difficult for some of our students. Um, for example, a lot of times initially our students would ask, well, how are you feeling today? Well, that is a very open-ended question. There are a lot of responses and you could just see the wheels turning on the students, but nothing coming out of their mouth because it was, you know, they were just processing that. Instead, some of our students might need choices. Um, Are you feeling happy or sad? Um, Obviously you have to take into consideration, some students might have echolalia where they just repeat that last word or phrase and it's not their necessarily desired choice, but we might need to, um, you know, pare it down um, into, do you want the blue scooter or red scooter? Um, And maybe even provide visuals where uh, they could point and give them a choice, like a choice board. So there were a lot of great um, practical implication. I suppose one more that we really um, discovered is students with sensory needs. Sometimes um, our students got really handsy with their peers and didn't kind of overstep the boundaries between self-space and general space. And while others took the other end of the spectrum, maybe they were um, very tactile defensive and didn't want anyone to high five or touch them. And so some alternatives um, that we discuss, you know, rather than the traditional high five, maybe we do a, just a thumbs up or a a fist pound. And so, you know, it's important to establish these boundaries between children and explain to them uh, about personal space, self-space and general space.
0: Yeah. I like that point a lot uh, that last one too, because that's kind of also kind of gearing them to kind of, you know, be more self-aware and also advocate for those things that, you know, even as a, you know, in our positions, I think sometimes we, we struggle with with explaining things like our self-space and all those things. So that's an awesome advocacy tool that you're kind of giving them and, and showing them and leading your students to kind of be aware of as well. Um, that, yeah, tons of real life uh, examples with this type of study, I love it. Now,
2: um, you know, I think another big picture thing is that what has bothered me for many years, I, I think there's this misconception that because we have all these cooperative games in physical education, that that's gonna automatically uh, develop peer engagement. And, and that has not been my, my experience. And that's one of the reasons why we started, uh, you know, doing this study is that you look at the, there's a lot of research by like Orlik and Grzynski, and you have all these books on cooperative activities. And a lot of our students just assume, okay, I'll pu- pull an activity out of this cooperative games book. and you know, magically, the kids will peer engage, but that's not the what usually happens. And so one of the things that we did is when we're doing the study is showing them, you know, uh, let's take like a a game that everybody knows musical hoops to eliminate. Um, You know, it's it's a great way to instead of doing an elimination tag game, you, you know, or whatever with musical hoops that they, they move, and when the music stops, they get in the hula hoop with a peer. Now, they may not high five, they may not, you, say, you have to uh, facilitate peer engagement. You have to say something like, okay, high five the person in the hula hoop with you, say their name, say something, uh, you know, what color shirt do they have on, whatever. You know and so just because you do these, we do a lot of these cooperative activities, but our students really learn that just doing the cooperative activity is not enough, and uh, you've got to facilitate these types of things and I think bringing in Belinda and Elaine we we learned a lot about other strategies our students learned strategies that they could do that
0: absolutely no I, I think you're I mean honestly, I have probably that misconception a little bit of or have at least put it in place where you put a cooperative game in and then they just think that these things exist. Bingo, yeah. We need pinpointed questions that lead them as well as we need to know what we're even looking for. I think, you know, obviously that always becomes a thing in our our field of that affective domain of what is it that we're really assessing? What is it that we're really trying to teach towards? Um, which I know there's always a lot of debate on that. And that it seems like speech and language uh, pathologists have kind of that, that, knowledge about a lot of those things that we need to kind of incorporate into Um, our our teaching.
2: One of the things that we try to do on their lesson plan is we say, look at your cognitive objectives, look at your effective objectives, and during closure, did you meet those? And did you ask those types of, um, not open-ended questions, but questions like we've been talking
0: about that are more specific? Mm -hmm. And and I think with cooperative games, you kind of have that I mean, I think peer engagement is going to happen in cooperative games, but is it appropriate? Is it is it is it um, is it you know, it, is it meaningful peer engagement? I think is the thing um, that we're trying to move towards versus just are there kids talking to each other um, to a degree? And those are things are the things that yeah, absolutely. I think those are really good points um, and, and really something that we should probably think about as a field a little bit more. Right. Um, yeah. That
3: was one of the things for me. Um, <clears throat> if one of the main goals for us was to get the pre-service APE teachers to better promote social interaction among the children, I think one of the the kind of major points of that for us was getting them to identify how to do that in a in a better way. Um, That this was really, for me, I'll say was my first time learning that APE had an area of effective domain and that that is a clear overlap with what we do and a clear area where we can work together. And so I thought that that was um, that kind of foundation of our mutual interest there, I thought was a really good point to collaborate and then working to um, kind of build on that together, bringing in both of our unique skills to figure out how that might uh, better serve our students with us collaborating.
0: Absolutely, and yeah, and I mean, speech and language is a yeah, natural fit with that affective domain, as well as like you all may be able to come in and I feel like that's something that we're not always as prepared as we would like to be, and even though we have standards in it, as well as the one of my biggest pet peeves with that area is we don't really always know how to assess it. If we don't know how to assess it, that's kind of problematic to the entire curriculum of it, I think, a little bit. So, and I think you all probably could help us out a lot in that. So that's, And let's transition real quick on how related services, such as speech and language, can be incorporated into PE um, in the wider scope. So- outside of this study.
4: Oh, outside. well, I'm, I'm speaking based on experience and also from what I learned from what we did with, with the team at Camp Nugget. Um, first, from an administrative perspective, to make sure that our school-based professionals have the opportunity to actually have time to be part of a professional learning community. Administrators need to have the buy-in to say, you know what, I need to have my staff at the same site at least more than one day a week, right, we're itinerants you know, build, carve out that time so we could plan together, so we could staff together and work on our schedules together. Um, a lot of our students have similar goals that we can work on. So that's, that's kind of what um, I'm envisioning as far as when we, when I go out um, looking at our interns and I look at their service delivery model, you know, how are you, we, we pushed a word, the buzzword interprofessional educational education, interprofessional collaboration, you know, practice how are you practicing this at your site? Have you met with the other service providers? Are you planning together? Are you scheduling together? You know, in, in that respect, I think that's definitely the first step.
2: Yeah. I I really want to reinforce that is that for collaboration, even work, you have to, it's not just going to happen automatically. You have to set, time aside and administrators have to be supportive of that I'm, I'm always amazed at how um, when we have our AP teachers that are coming back to school at night and we do a collaboration project with them where I say have you ever even like you know they've maybe been working for 10 years and they've never even talked to their speech uh, SLP person besides saying hey how's it going? You know, and I says, and then they say, Hey, I'm really glad I did this project because I, I couldn't believe how much we had in common. And I think sometimes we don't even understand, uh, you know, AP can be really marginalized. And I think a lot of people that are really knowledgeable don't even know that, hey, we do effective domain. You know, our bread and butter is motor, obviously, but we also do other things. And I think you, you've got to educate we have to advocate for our profession and we have to educate others and 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 but setting that time aside
1: yeah and I can't emphasize enough for that project that we do the collaboration project how many of the students are like wow I've been meaning to collaborate you know with my SLP or my PT or my OT but now this is sort of forcing me to do it um and also something else that I would really like to reiterate here is that Why don't you as a professional be the one to initiate? Because a lot of times you might be looking across the street at the SLP, like, wow, they've been here longer than me, so they should be the one to initiate first. But go ahead and, you know, just you as the professional be the one to initiate, because a lot of times you might just be looking at each other, um, thinking that they should be the one to initiate that conversation first. So, um, you know, that's something that we try to instill in our students, to you put yourself out there and, you know, make that initial bridge.
3: Yeah, I think we agree. I think that's, that's perfectly stated.
0: Now, I'm going to wrap up this conversation because for, um, but I want to ask kind of maybe just one last question to everybody. And so like, what is like your biggest takeaway from this study as well as just that collaboration between that? Like if you're a PE, APE teacher or pre-service teacher listening to this, what do you want them to walk away uh, from this conversation with?
2: Well, I know what I want them to do because this is something that's bothered me for years is that this interaction, communication, just because you have a bunch of cooperative games out there and you open up a book by Graczynski or Terry Orlick, that this is automatically going to happen. The word to me is facilitate. And from this study, um, you know, I, I've been doing this for a while and I, I thought I had a lot of good skills in this, but I learned a lot from um the SLP people and, and, or just looked at it a different way is another thing that, you know, there were some things where I I looked at it differently. um, Yeah,
1: I I agree, Barry. One thing that I know that was so simple that we learned from our SLPs is that, you know, anytime we're doing our check for understanding or closure questions, all of the time, our teachers would ask the students and then the students would just kind of, you know, repeat back to the teacher, but instead a simple phrase like tell your peer, you know, what's, um, did you like to gallop or skip better today? So we're getting that peer-to-peer engagement, just doing, you know, simple changes in the way that we phrase to get our students to talk to each other rather than just all of the conversations coming directly to the teacher.
2: So one of the things we try to do during closure is not have the you know we we try to train our our teach our university students now don't don't have them tell the teacher have them tell a partner have each them other you know when you ask a question and one person answer it answers it then the other five or six aren't aren't responding you know
1: yeah, but, and our s l p s did a nice job of explaining well, what do you do when you have that student who you know, constantly wants to take over and answer all the questions or they get fixated on something and they constantly want to talk about trains and, you know, you can redirect and say, well, we're not talking about that right now. We're talking about, you know, galloping like a horse. Um, So, you know, just redirecting them back and making sure if they're talking, you know, to their peers, that way multiple students get to have their voice heard, not just that one who likes to dominate the conversation.
3: I think for for us and our students, um, I know we, I feel like we walked away with a lot of really great ideas for intervention, right? Just great activities to get our clients up and moving um, and more engaged in our tasks. I know I left uh, from one of the days in our study and I went to go see a client and I was still in my tennis shoes from earlier and I was like, okay, we're working on actions. Let's run and let's skip and and I was sitting and we were working out together and it was, (laughs) And the kid had a wonderful time, and they kept using all of these action words, um, which was was our goal for the day. And so I think that was something that was really helpful is just seeing all of these amazingly engaging, um, fun activities for children that could work on both motor and communication goals simultaneously. Um, And just seeing the value in other things that people do. I value other professions, but I don't get to oftentimes get in their spaces and see what it is that they do. And I found that experience itself really quite valuable. And I really am um, grateful that our students at their stage in their careers got that opportunity so that they're learning from the very beginning, this is what this discipline
4: does. And this is how I can complement what it is that they do. Absolutely, I think that our graduate students as well who participate in the study have um, gained even more respect for you know what you do. You know, we are very grateful for this opportunity. Our students are now trying to seek out, just like what Melissa said, um, during their internships, where is a P teacher? You know, so if if we can accomplish that, um, one takeaway from from me that I would like to emphasize um, briefly is. Something that one of your pre-service teachers shared with me, and it really brought it home when she said, you know, I didn't realize I was really looking for ways to help the student initiate. Because initiation is hard, right? Going from step A to step B. Once they get moving, then it's easier to cue or prompt a communication interaction. But to initiate an interaction, to read the environment and to interpret the nonverbal cues, I mean, that was, wow, I was like, I I took that for granted because that's what we do on a regular basis. And for her to tell me that, that really kind of tied it all together as far as our relationship and everything that we do that overlaps.
1: Yeah, Yeah. I I think the gymnasium is a natural environment to collaborate with speech language. We're kid friendly. We've got all the the fun equipment. And so we can, you know, get the, the children to use their words. If you want the ribbon wand, you need to say the word, you know, tell me ribbon wand. And so I think that it's a a great environment to bring the SLPs in and collaborate um, together.
0: Absolutely. Barry, did you have one last thing to add? Well, I I just think that, um, you know, really early
2: in my career, I had a couple of um, speech language uh, professionals come to Camp Nugget and say, I can't get my kids to, to hardly talk and and. They're always like talking here in Camp Nugget, and so I wanted to see what you're doing, and that's when it kind of dawned on me. You know, I had this haha moment because I think we're all in our own disciplines, and we think, you know, okay, everybody like appreciates movement or whatever. But that's, you know, this idea of of collaboration and what we're talking about today, how mm-hmm. how important it is to to find out what other disciplines are doing and and yeah. gain an appreciation for them.
1: Yeah, it helps us get out of our silos.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciated this conversation. I felt like I learned a lot um, about how we can collaborate with speech and language pathologists, as well as this awesome study you have. Um, thank you everyone for coming on and, uh, and, and being on the, the podcast. And uh, I'm very excited to get it out to everyone. So thank you very much. And uh, I hope you all have a wonderful uh, afternoon or morning because you guys are still in California. So. <laughs> thank
4: you for the opportunity thank you Scott appreciate it